0: Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered at Liquid by Pastor Tim Lucas. Liquidchurch.com, living water for a thirsty generation. Now, we're live on the web. Prayer. It's something we all do. Most of us in this room, whether you're a devout believer or maybe you're a bit skeptical about the whole God thing, at some point this week, if statistics are to be believed, Many of us, the majority of us, have thrown up a prayer or two God's way. It's something the majority of us do without a lot of thought on a daily or regular basis. Check this out. According to a Gallup poll, more Americans will pray this week than will exercise, drive a car, go to work, or have sex. Factual. Nine out of ten of us pray regularly. And three out of four Americans claim to pray every day. It's hard to believe, but as we entered this series called Vertical, Communicating with God, which is really all about jump-starting your prayer life, uh, I took note this week of all the things that I prayed for without even thinking. And my list honestly ranged from the profound to the pathetic. <laughs> I'll tell you about the profound first. On Monday, um, I found myself still a bit overwhelmed by our announcement last week that Liquid Church is launching out next year uh, as an independent, you know, church launch in, in, in New Jersey devoted to reaching folks who've never been a church or, or really haven't been close to God at all. And last Sunday, I told you about the uh, anonymous gift we were given, $300,000 for that launch. And on Monday, I was like, again, just felt the weight of that, overwhelmed by that. So I like prayed. I prayed. I was like, God, you've got to give us direction. Please tell us, guide us to the specific place where you want to plant and grow this church. You're going to have to tell us because this is going to affect lives for years to come. Would you give me help not just to completely blow it with the money? Uh, It's a big prayer and one I've already seen partially answered as God sent experienced leaders like Mike and Dave to oversee our financial strategy. But that's a a profound prayer about direction. You ever ask God for guidance in a decision, one that you know is going to affect your life? That was Monday. Profound. On Tuesday, a little less so. Uh, I woke up Tuesday morning and I had one thing on my mind. I had to get to the vets by 8.30 because our little hound dog, Percy, was going in for some surgery. Uh, don't say, ah, too much. It's not so much surgery as it was dental. <laughs> uh, but they have to put him under. This boy is seven years old, and he's got all this like, tartar and plaque all over his like, fangs and everything. So they're like, bring him in. We're going to put him out, and he'll, he'll have um, cleaner teeth and better smelling breath. And that was the part that made me bring him in. So I, I brought him in, and, you know, they had to put him under for anesthesia, which, you know, like has some risk. And so as I'm driving the dog to the, to, to the vet, I'm literally driving, and I'm sitting in traffic there, kind of like, you know, like, oh, Percy. Wow. Man, I'd be nervous, you know, kind of going out. I was like, why not? Lord, this has been a good dog uh, to, to <laughs> us. He's, he's really brought a lot of joy into our home, and I hope he's around for a lot longer. You know, God bless Percy. And then I, you know, almost hit someone because of my eyes closed, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, give care and skill to the vet's hands. I hope you know what he's doing. Amen. Does God hear a prayer like that? Like, does he care? I know if you're a PETA, you know, uh, member, you're going to be like, of course he does. I know, I know. But these are the kinds of prayers we all send up every day, you know. Prayers for protection, prayers for guidance. You can see all the, that we have listed up there on our, our graphics, you know, loneliness, family, people pray for money, their health. Work, your career, your job, your future, relationships, or lack thereof. Some of them are really profound, long-ranging implications. We're to launch a church. whether to start a marriage. Some pathetic and trivial. My pet's dentistry. <laughs> you don't even have to be religious or a devout believer to take a shot at prayer. On Wednesday, next day, I was meeting with a, a friend of mine, and he's not particularly religious. He considers himself spiritual, not religious. But he's like, I want to pick your mind. He's an entrepreneur, he owns his own business, been at it for a while, but he's like, I'm just worn down, I'm just exhausted. And he's questioning things, like maybe he should just sell his business. He's like, I wake up to him, I'm just like, is this all there is? As I said, not religious, and that's why he called me. He's like, I'm ex-Catholic, and he's like, you're kind of like my priest, (laughs) only you're not as weird, and it seems you're married. That's true. (laughs) He's like, so I trust you, I just wanted to talk with you. And as he described all he's thinking about and weighing in his life, he's like, Tim, I actually pray every day. What, What do you pray about? He goes, I... I, I pray, I say, Lord, give me strength for this day. I, I am tired. I am exhausted. I don't know what to do. Do I sell my business or do I hold on for more? I'm a spiritual person. I want to do the right thing, but I'm looking for some direction. So here's the question. Does God hear my friend's prayer? <laughs> and will he answer it? Or, and How? Quick survey. How many of you have prayed this week? You prayed at least one prayer this, this week. Okay, statistics hold true. Okay, like I said, about three and four, and nine out of ten. What, what did you pray for? This is like participation part. What, yell it out. What are some things you prayed for? What? I'm sorry? A safe flight. Good to see you with us. What else? What's that? Dinner. Meals. Food. Yes, God provider. Daily bread. What else? Friends. Finding parking. parking. <laughs> Very good and very New Jersey prayer. Very much so. Yeah, we pray for all sorts of stuff. And if this is an average gathering of people, it's likely you prayed one of a few kind of prayers this week. Maybe you prayed a drive-by prayer. How many of you do this in the morning? You kind of like hit the ground running in the morning. You got to go to work and, and, you know, maybe you get to Starbucks or something. But it's like the best you can do is a quick, like, Lord, bless the day. Out the sunroof as you're ripping down, you know, you know 287. It's not like out of a deep sense of spirituality, but like it's kind of like, well, you know, you know I got to you know, at least say God get my back. You know, kind of on the way to work, you know, between the radio commercials. Or maybe you do the uh, type prayer. This is the one that is just kind of a reflex to something that happens. You ever have that? You sneeze and someone goes, oh, God bless you. Are you, are you like, thank you for invoking the Lord for my nasal issue. <laughs> no, no. You, you, you pray, it's, it's just more of an unthinking ritual, words without meaning. My kids do this at mealtime. Right now they're learning to say grace. We're pray- you know, in sharing with them an elementary prayer. So they literally say, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for this food. You know it, right? But now they're like, comp- you know, competing with one another to pray first. So when my little girl does it, God is great. God, no, I'm praying. And they start screaming and battling. It's not exactly conducive to prayer. But it's a reflex. Or maybe you're praying a foxhole prayer. This is what happens when people who never pray, but they get in a crisis. You know what they say, right? Even atheists get religious in a foxhole, right? There are no atheists in foxholes. So maybe you're, um, you screw up at work and your boss calls you in. Okay, Lord, I haven't prayed to you in a while. I've got to talk with you. Or your marriage is going down the tank. Or, you know, your kid's off the wall or your business just kind of fizzles, you know. And you, and you pray out of desperation. I saw a bumper sticker about a month ago. that said, as long as there are tests, there will always be prayer in public schools. You know, when something's facing you or maybe a Charlie Brown prayer. You know, remember Charlie Brown's teacher? What did her voice sound like? Wah, wah. <laughs> oh, you do it. You got sound effects. This is good. Wah, 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 You know, just, just same words, not a life of meaning, not very alive to it. The best prayer, not the best prayer, the one I'm most common with as I kind of travel among different circles is hang out with a group of other believers last week. And, um, We were taking time out. We were just like kind of fellowshipping, you know, getting together. And at the end, it was kind of like, hey, you know, let's pray. You know, let's take some time to pray. And it was amazing. It was incredible as we went around. You would have thought we were in the ER room. This is what I call ER prayer. As we went around, every person pretty much offered a four-course menu of diseases, ailments, sickness, and health-related issues. Um, so like, Larry went around and was like, like, oh, pray for my sister's back. Oh, okay, your sister's back, you know. Oh, yeah, my thumb's doing this weird thing. Okay, your thumb's doing this weird thing. Yeah, my uncle's prostate. Yeah, okay, your uncle's prostate. You know, It was like watching an episode of House, you know, MD. But what's primarily, like, that's what it was for this group. Prayer was about one thing. It was about physical ailments and asking for healing. And maybe you're familiar with that, okay? And, and that is something God invites us to pray for. But is that it? That was pretty one-dimensional. The last one is what I call stop and shop prayer, or food town, or A&P, or King's, or Wegman's, wherever you shop for groceries. You ever pray or know someone who prays with a list? They make a list. They list all the people and things that they want to make sure they cover. And it kind of starts out with a few words, and then it's like get down to business. You know, you go through the names and situations, and like maybe even alphabetize them. This is when it's like really overwhelming. I used to do this when I was a kid, all right? I know. I was just like... That totally, like, indoctrinated. I had to, like, get out of the cult. It was like, you know, it's like, pray for my, Lord, pray for my, uh, see, pray for my brother Chad, who's, like, making bad decisions, you know, protect him in his new job as a snake handler, you know. And you, like, and you go down the list, mostly telling God what he needs to do and how you would be available to help make that happen. (laughs) It's like going down the aisles at a supermarket, you know. Problem is, it's just like grocery shopping, you know. It's hard to keep track of everything, and actually, after a while, it's fairly numbing, (laughs) Kind of picking out what you need and then speeding to the checkout as soon as possible. Are you familiar with any of those? Have you ever fallen into any of these ruts? Yeah. Again, quick survey and show of hands. Just be honest, please. How many of you honestly feel like you need a jump start on your prayer life this fall? Okay? You're not at all in, uh, in a small circle. It's funny. But prayer is supposed to be simple. I mean, that's a simple, de- it has a simple definition. Prayer is literally communication with God. What we're calling getting vertical, That is, an earthbound creature establishing a connection with heaven. A human creature actually enjoying conversation with his divine creator. It's interesting, but according to the Bible, in the opening pages, literally, when we go back to Eden in Genesis, there was a time when God and Adam walked together in the garden and communicated as friends. Prayer or conversation with God at that moment in God's creation was as natural and as normal part of life as breathing. But somehow it's gotten a bit obscured or overgrown along the way for many of us. The connection has been kind of interrupted, if you will. I mean, if you're, let's think about talking with God. If your connection with God were like a cell phone plan, how would you rate the service? How many of you have a cell phone on you right now? I'm going to invite you to take your cell phone out. This is going to be a fun part because it's all dark in here. Take your cell phone out. Instead of lighting lighters at concerts, you know what they do now? They flip up their cell phone. So I want you to have your cell phone out if you happen to have one on your person. And I'm going to ask you where you would put yourself on this connection plan, okay? In other words, zero would be a dial tone. Like, I, bzzz, I have never prayed before in my life. I didn't realize this was about that. I'll listen. <laughs> uh, or, or maybe you just go up. Like, n- well, nights and weekends. I don't pray all the time. <laughs> but I pray on weekends, primarily about what happened on Saturday night. <laughs> or I pray on Sundays. I'm very religious. I pray on Sundays, you know. It's when my favorite team plays. So I'm I'm very religious then, you know? (laughs) Or maybe you're an out-of-area caller. What I mean by that is you only pray in certain venues. Not everywhere you go, but there are like certain triggers in your prayer life. One of my friends said, I'm an M&M prayer. I was like, what's M&M? He's like, meals and mass. Uh, Whenever I sit down to dinner, you know, I pray. Or like, go to church and I'll do the whole, you know, prayer thing. But pretty much reserved to certain areas. But nothing beyond that. Now, five would be a clear and static signal. Now, how many of you have, have Verizon, all right? Nothing against Verizon here. But you know what that's like in New Jersey. I can be talking to Sandy on the phone like, really cool, okay, what time are you going to surgery? It's hello, 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 you know, and it's just like cuts right out, dead spot. How many of you have a prayer life that is somewhat like, like, there are moments of like crystal clear clarity when you feel like you are hearing God's voice, and then it's gone. Pfft, lots of static in between. Sometimes like my cell, I lose a signal entirely and go through dead spots, but other times it's clear and seamless. That's that's Five. But dial it up to number seven. That's reliable roaming. And that would be the person who you call on God regularly, actually, throughout the week. doesn't matter where you are. Wherever you go, you enjoy access. And, and you know what? You don't actually just talk. You don't jabber on one end. You actually listen and hear a voice coming through the other. You hear a response. And it often impacts and directs your life. That would be a seven. Now, at the top rate of the you know, calling plan with God would be you know, like a secure line. You now, this is kind of like the one foot in heaven kind of thing, Okay? Like constant communication. It's like God has like a, a earpiece, a bug in my ear. I have a direct hotline. It's like he's always whispering in my ear. In fact, I'm not even listening to you, Tim. Here he is again. Uh, you know, where, where would you put yourself, okay? Now, I'm going to ask you to rank yourself by putting up your cell phone when we come to your spot, okay? So have your cell phone ready, okay? How many of you would put yourself up at a 10? I've got the secure line. I, uh, there are no lights here. That's interesting. Okay, nobody. All right, let's go to, um, to seven. Your reliable roaming reliable roaming okay a few one two a few three, four. Oh, five momentum awesome do i hear a six in the balcony a six. thank you someone waving in the balcony that's a reliable roamer you call on god regularly throughout the week how many about maybe though more like a five clear and static signal okay the majority of you wow oh this is are you taking a picture of me someone just flashed that's amazing <laughs> Okay, the vast majority, clear and static, like there are moments, and then how about any, anybody put themselves at a three, like kind of an out-of-area call, certain venues like Trigger, awesome, thank you, thank you for your honesty. Um, you did take a picture, I heard it. <laughs> um, and I imagine there are zeros and ones around us, you've never prayed before, and that's totally okay, you're welcome here, awesome. The reality is, wherever you are, most of us could use a jump start on our prayer life this fall, and that's what this series is all about. About reestablishing contact with God if you've lost that signal. Perhaps dialing in for the first time. Or if things are going well for you, just strengthening that connection and actually asking you to do something. Would you come alongside the rest of us who could use your help? Perhaps the reason that many of us struggle to maintain a vibrant prayer life is that while prayer is like simple in concept, like just talking with God, yeah, it's very difficult in practice. I would add a few other kind of prayers to my list. My prayers are mostly qualified as ADD prayers. I, I, don't, I don't officially have it, but that is like what it is like. Typically, I've got a very busy mind, and that's what it's like when I pray. And no, no offense to anyone who has ADD or whatever. I'm a little hyper. But when I, when I try to concentrate, it is like my mind is like on pop rocks, it, like hyperlinks <laughs> to all sorts of stuff. Literally, I'm praying this past week. I'm like, Lord, would you um, bless my friend um, Tara, who is... Um, you know, she's married to that Mike, and um, he, like, owes me 20 bucks from lunch the other day. He's, like, so cheap, Lord. I, um, I, he just totally stiffed me at Dairy Queen, uh, of all places, which, I love the blizzards there. The blizzards are excellent. Um, speaking of which, Lord, I need to go on a diet this fall. Would you please? This is getting ridiculous. I am totally overeating. I am totally stressed out because of work. You know, my job is a challenge, and just um, job... Speaking of Steve Jobs, I love Apple laptops, man. Those things are like awesome. I literally, you start out praying for one thing and you end up 72 paces in the other direction. Yeah, you know, okay, a few people know this one ADD prayers. Okay, a few of them. Or if it's not ADD, your mind's so active, you pray the Lunesta prayer <laughs> Dear God, <clears throat> the little sleeping butterfly comes down from the heavens. It's no wonder most people find prayer difficult. I mean, none of those habits are easy to maintain. None are very life-giving. In fact, most are uttered out of ritual or a harried mind or or guilt or mindless tradition. In, In fact, most of the words that we kind of throw up at God each week are not actually even necessarily prayers. I once remember hearing a preacher say, God hears your every word, no matter how, insignificant. But actually, Jesus seemed to contradict this in Matthew 6 where his disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. I'll invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. We'll just look at a few verses tonight, verses 5 through 8. And uh, you can grab a pew Bible. It's also in your bulletin. Make sure you have a pen or a pencil, because I'm going to ask you to circle some words. Can we get a little bit of lights there? Thanks, Francisco, so people can follow along. This is Jesus' first teaching in the Gospels on the subject of Prayer. Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8, you can follow along with me. And when you pray, Jesus said, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Everyone together. Our father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Stop right there. And you know, many of you have heard the rest of it, even if you haven't been in church for a while. What is that called? Our Father, Hallowed be your name, and the rest? The Lord's Prayer. And Jesus gives them a model for how to pray. Now stop here. Because most people launch into prayer just like that, and then it becomes a little bit like a formula or prescriptive, like, okay, I might make sure I cover the bases. But Jesus doesn't start there. He starts back, actually, on two specific ways not to pray. Look at verse 5. Jesus cites another prayer here as to avoid, and that's a Broadway prayer, right? (laughs) Dear God, public prayer done to look good. Now, you stick around church long enough, and you're going to see this. These are prayers done for show, to show off how much we know. You could call it kind of a preacher prayer, which, no offense, I know I'm a preacher, but it's pretty common in church circles. You've been in the presence of other people who, when they pray, they, like, get into this foreign language that you're not sure if it's from the 1600s or 2020. You know, there, there's, there are high-minded, holy-sounding sa- prayers with thinly-veiled hints, usually, on how other people who are in the room should behave. You know, like, holy Lord, we thank you for your righteousness and the continued sanctification of everyone in this room. I want to beseech you to bless Donna and her fiancé, who seem to be struggling with purity. We know that you desire purity in the inmost parts, as the psalmist said, and I ask that you bless their parts. Give them discipline and a renewed sense of propriety. A little gossip, a little bit of theology, but most of it for the benefit of people listening. The preacher prayer believes prayer is pretty much God's like chosen platform to teach other people who are listening. And Jesus actually says here, yeah, those um, prayers actually kind of bounce off the ceiling. God's not interested in them. Those kind of people have received their reward in full. Instead, look at verse 6. He says something interesting. Prayer is not public, but it's to be private and personal. You go alone into your room. Close the door. Not for others, but for you and who? Your father. It's about this relationship with the God who created you. Now, More about that in a moment. But if you look at verse 7, he condemns one other kind of prayer. Vomit prayers, right? Babbling like pagans. For they think these people will be heard because they're many words just kind of pouring out religious sounding phrases or laundry lists of wants and desires that we think will get God to pay attention. But he says actually that's the wrong approach because in fact look at verse 8. Your father actually already knows what you need before you ask him. So here's a novel thought. If God already knows, what is prayer really for? What if prayer weren't so much for God to fill him in but for you? to fill us up. Something mysterious happens in prayer, Jesus says. In real prayer, as Jesus taught his followers to pray, it's not so much about saying the right things or choosing the correct words or a secret formula as it is about assuming the correct posture of your heart and mind before God. It's a posture of honesty and humility before the one who created you. It's really about entering into a relationship of trust and care as a a needy child before their good and loving father. Look at the message paraphrase. Would you have Jesus' instruction? I love this. This is in the right-hand column. It says, and when you come before God, don't turn that into a theatrical production either. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Verse 6, look at this. Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role-play before God. And just be there as simply and as honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense his grace, his loving kindness towards you. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Plant a seed, six steps of prosperity. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you are dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this. Our Father in heaven. So Jesus and his first lesson on prayer to his disciples begins actually with two negative examples of what not to do. Before he launches into his model called the Lord's Prayer. Notice in verse 5 he actually says, and when you pray. Notice he doesn't say if you pray. (laughs) By the way, if you decide to pray, this would be a good way to go about it. That is, although there are ways to do it wrong, it doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Jesus is saying that prayer should be the normal, recurring, regular activity of every follower of Christ. So the question is, where do you begin? If we're supposed to pray without ceasing, but there are so many ruts and potholes to fall into along the way, where do you start? Well, Jesus gives us a clue, and I take out your pen or pencil, and you can write in the Bibles, as you know... In a word that he uses four times here in his teaching in Matthew 6, verses 5 through 9. What's the word you see four times actually capitalized, begins with the letter F? It frames the whole relationship? Father. This is about relationship. You circle that word, Father. Any understanding of prayer begins with a recognition of who's on each end of the line. <laughs> Who am I that's speaking? A child. Who's listening? my loving father. And not just any father. The word Jesus uses here for father is a translation. It's a translation from the original Aramaic word that begins actually with A. Anyone know it? Abba. That is an Aramaic word that means father, but it's more than just a formal title like, you know, heavenly father. Abba was best translated in Jesus' day in our language as daddy. It is the most tender, personal childlike kind of name by which to call someone. Daddy. Abba. And if you understand the ancient Jewish culture in which Jesus lived and ministered, you'll discover Jesus was inviting his followers to do something unprecedented. Totally revolutionary. To refer to the God of the Bible. The Lord of all creation by the name Daddy. Some of you know, Jewish folks in the Old Testament times, they had such respect Reverence, even fear for God, that they wouldn't even write out his name. You still see that today with Jewish folks. I have a Jewish friend, whenever he emails me, he spells out God G slash D. Why? You omit the middle letter of the full name out of reverence, or like becoming too casual or familiar with a holy, transcendent God. But here comes Jesus in Matthew 6, and he says, I'm going to tell my followers how you address God in prayer. And he says, simply address him as your Abba, Father. He's your daddy. A personal, loving, intimate father who cares tenderly for you. In the Old Testament, it's amazing. Some people are like, it doesn't seem like these have one to do with the other because God seems so different. Old Testament, New Testament. In the Old Testament, God revealed himself as a powerful, fearsome deity. Smoke and lightning preceded his presence. This is like Charlton Heston, you know. You ever see that, the Ten Commandments? If, and it's true, if you touched the mountain on which God met Moses, you would have struck dead. And so Israelites, early on, people who believed in God learned to keep their distance. The idea of speaking directly to God was like a non-starter. Instead, they used operators <laughs> or intermediaries called priests to connect them. If they wanted to have an audience with God, you called upon a priest. Uh, would you please connect me with God? If you're Catholic, you can identify it with that, yes? <laughs> it's a tricky arrangement. I mean, how can you actually get close or personal to someone if you have to go through their spokesman? (laughs) But then Jesus appears on the scene in the New Testament in Matthew and says, not not anymore. Now that I am here, you can talk directly and personally with God just like you're talking face-to-face with me. Wink, wink. The only requirement is that you relate to him as a child relates to her father or Abba or daddy. In speaking of prayer, Jesus uses one of the most tender, intimate words in known human language. And folks, this is key. If you're going to improve your reception this fall and reestablish direct contact with God or revitalize your prayer life, you have to know him in an intimate way, and that is as your father. If this is a foreign concept to you, the good news is that Jesus provides us a way to do that. You go back to our prayer scale. Okay, where were you on the, on the calling plan there, right? Let's say you're at zero, dial tone. You've never prayed before. How do you establish a connection with your Heavenly Father, the God who knows your name and conceived you in love? There's actually a prayer that you must pray before all other prayers. <laughs> and it's the prayer by which you recognize Jesus as the Son of your Father, the Son of God who gave his life For you. That's why we put the cross up on the wall. Jesus sacrificed himself for your failings, your flaws. And he rose again so that you could reconnect with your heavenly father. That's what we call salvation. Ever hear that phrase? And in Romans 10, we're promised this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead... You will be saved. You enter into a life-giving connection with your father... For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it's by confessing with your mouth that you're saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So there's a prayer that comes before all other prayers. And it's the prayer that God hears from any man or woman, any child who actually says, Father, I want to be in your family. And the idea is that to reestablish direct contact with your father can only happen through placing your trust in his son. In other words, kind of to get on God's calling plan, you have to pray the first prayer first, the one in which you say, God, I need you in my life. <laughs> That's what my friend Darren did a couple of weeks ago. He said, I believe that your son Jesus is the way I can do that. I believe he died, he rose again for me so that I could have new life and be made right with you. That's salvation. That's the prayer that precedes every prayer. And it's a prayer of humility, isn't it? A prayer of actually calling out for help. I recognize I need actually a Savior. And I receive your gift of salvation to my life. But once we do that, the Bible tells us something incredible happens. Because our relationship with God undergoes a dramatic change. No longer are we on the do not call list. (laughs) But rather, we're adopted into God's family. We get on his speed dial list. In spiritual terms, we literally become his sons and daughters. John 1, 12 and 13 puts it this way. It says, to all who believed Jesus and accepted him, he gave the right To become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth, resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. You've probably heard the term born again, but this is really what it means. Through Jesus, we are reconnected to God. We officially enter his family, and he becomes our heavenly father. But not just any father. That's a troublesome word for many of us. Because I realize many of us come from families and homes where dad wasn't all he should have been. What, what was your father like? Distant, detached, maybe unapproachable, maybe just not there, missing. Harsh or judgmental, disapproving. That, is, that can be crippling when you then conceive of, your fa- of God as your father. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. He says your father, your Abba, is everything your earthly father wasn't. He is love personified, daddy There's a tenderness Jesus meant to evoke here to his disciples. He's saying God has a desire to embrace and know and accept you just as you are. Not as you should be. And to care for you as only a doting father is capable of. And until you relate to him like that, as your loving daddy, your prayer life will never get off the ground. That's what Jesus is hinting at by mentioning it four times in his introductory teaching on prayer before he even gets to the Lord's Prayer. I was cleaning out my phone messages um, this week, and um, I have six that I've been saving for some time that the little gal from Verizon says, they are about to expire. And uh, I wanted to take a moment and just take kind of a risk here, showing sharing something a little personal with you, and share a couple of them with you. Would that be all right? Now... I'm going to call my voicemail. Can I put this on, Rick? See if we can get this for people, okay? Please enter your password. Then press pound. <laughs> you have six safe voice messages. To listen to your messages, press one. message will be saved for 16 days. What? Next message. Listen. It's the first time my little girl said the words dada on my cell phone. I've been saving that for four years. Four years. It's an amazing thing, and I was like, "Why have I been saving this for four years?" Dada. It's one of the first words every human being longs to and learns to say. When when Chase was just a year old and started to talk, it grieved Colleen, my wife, that her first words were "dada" and not "mama." She was like, "I carried her around in my belly for nine months." went through Hades to bring her life into this world, and she says, Dada, first. And I was like, I got the voicemail to prove it. (laughs) Dada. Abba. There's a heart-rending tenderness with which Jesus tells us we can relate to our daddy God in prayer. And it is a beautiful thing when you see a healthy father-child relationship. That's my little girl now. She's four I'm the guy underneath the dress there. We were were at a wedding dancing. We were dancing at a wedding reception. And I know all of us here tonight haven't been so fortunate to experience a father-child relationship that's marked by trust, by tenderness, and by intimacy. I know that. But when you see it, it's something amazing. It's the rarest of gifts because it reflects how our God wants to relate to us. you. It's an amazing thing. I remember going into uh, Mike Leahy's um, house. You know, Mike is out in the foyer. Mikey's got three little girls, and they are incredible. (laughs) But what was incredible was going to his house and seeing Mikey, all six, seven of him, wearing a tutu (laughs) and sitting in this tiny little chair playing tea party with his daughters. (laughs) He's wearing a feather boa. As his little girls just dance around him singing this tune from like The Little Mermaid. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, That's how your heavenly father, your Abba, wants to talk with you. Wants to relate to you. That's how much he cares for you. And this is unprecedented in all of recorded history. No one in organized religion had ever addressed God as my father, my personal, yet this is precisely what Jesus did in all his prayers. So this title that Jesus introduces to you and me into his first century palatine, it was revolutionary. And he intended it to challenge all previous conceptions of what your father's really like, how actually approachable he is, not distant, and how intimate and trusting a kind of relationship you can expect to have with him. And folks, this is key if you're going to improve your reception and reestablish direct contact with God. You have to know him as your father. Otherwise, it becomes a duty, not a delight. They say people are driven to prayer for one of three reasons. Duty, give us this day our daily bread. I know i got to pray this thing. Or delight, my daddy, my Ava wants to hear from me. Or sometimes desperation when your world collapses in and says, I've I got nowhere else to turn. Who can I turn back to? Back to my father. I saved those voicemails for uh, four years, and um, in the course of getting my voicemail every day, I've probably listened to it about a thousand times. Why? Because they're the voices of the people closest to my heart. What father doesn't love to hear the words daddy from his child? To hear his son or daughter say, Daddy, hi, Daddy, I miss you. (laughs) And mom coaxes him, better be home soon, better be home soon. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same for God. When you call to connect with him, Daddy, I just, I just call to say I love you. I didn't even call to ask for anything. It, can you imagine it lighting up God's heart in the same way? When you regularly tune into his frequency, spend time in his presence listening to his voice and experience his love, guess what happens? Prayer becomes a delight, a dance, not just a conversation, not a duty. And this is the secret foundation of prayer, folks. And I wanted to get at this first thing in the series before even touching anything else. I know there are all sorts of practical questions related to prayer. Because it's like, well, what about unanswered prayer when dad doesn't give you what you want? Or how do I know, you know, if it's God's voice or my own? Or do our conversations make any difference? But before you even can answer those, you have to establish a connection or define the relationship like Jesus did. And in prayer, it is stunning the all-powerful sovereign of the universe stops what he is doing to listen to his beloved child. And this is the mystery of prayer. There's nothing else in this world where the infinitude of the omnipotent God meets with the frailty and impotence of his creatures. The vastness of God, the minusculeness of us, yet he wants to know us, to communicate with us and share his heart and actually hear what's on ours. I mean, there's a stunning inequity, you know. It's like, Chase will catch up to me someday. We will never catch up to God. (laughs) And to think that the creator of the world wants to relate to his creatures as Father. I want you to turn to Isaiah 40 for a moment, would you? Just to get this perspective. This is so important. Take a look at this. Isaiah 40 catalogs God's immensity and compares it and contrasts it with our frailty. Look at this. Skip down to verse 12 here. This is just the ancients talking about what we are in comparison to God. Look at verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? This is your God. Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who's understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught God knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Verse 15. Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They're regarded as dust on the scales. God weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Before him all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. To whom then will you compare God? Stop there at verse 18. Do you see what Isaiah is saying? The creator of all creations. We sung indescribable before, indescribable, uncontainable. You set the stars in the sky, and you called them by name. And Isaiah says, pretty impressive. That's who your father is. (laughs) And you recognize the vastness of who we're speaking about. Now watch what he does when he compares man, his offspring. Verses 6 through 8. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? Look at verse 6. All men are like, what? Grass. (laughs) And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. In other words, Isaiah is contrasting God's omnipotence, how powerful, all-knowing, all-powerful, with our frailty, our finitude and our frailty. (laughs) That's one of the most important effects of prayer. It reminds us who we are, our tininess in God's vastness. And in God's presence, we feel small because we are small. And yet, if you stop there, it's all over. You're like, I can never relate to a God like that. In the midst of this cavernous difference, you notice something incredible. God cares about us. Look at verse 25 through 27. He cares about us personally. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift your eyes, look to the heavens. Who created all of these? Now, I want you to imagine we ripped the ceiling off this building. And we were in like Vermont or Maine, not New Jersey. <laughs> and you could see all the stars. He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. He knows your name. Because of his great power and his mighty strength, not one of them is missing. He sustains everything in the universe. From star to blade of grass to your life. Do you? Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you ever feel like that? (laughs) That God doesn't care? That he's not paying attention? I mean, if he's got all this going on, how's he going to remember about me? Do you not know, verse 28? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. That word hope there is not just like, take a little hope. Who actually spend time in God's presence will be renewed. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And it's amazing, but Isaiah is saying something incredible to us. That although our God is almighty and all-powerful, he cares for you so intimately and so personally. He actually longs to renew your strength, for for you to know him personally, and actually to to draw power in life and energy from him. Prayer is where that convergence happens, where the power and love of an all-seeing God intersects with the weakness and need of his dependent offspring. where the all-powerful Father takes pleasure, that his all-needy children come into his presence. I came across a great picture that just kind of captures this incredible truth. This is a picture from John F. Kennedy's administration around 1963. And it's an amazing one because, you see, if you're listening on the Internet, I'll describe it to you. (laughs) You see little John John, his little boy there, who's only a couple years old, kind of peering out of his desk, the presidential desk, right between his daddy's legs, while his daddy is presumably deciding the fate of the free world. (laughs) Capture that. The most powerful man on earth, wielding the most power in all of known humanity, and his little boy peering out from underneath and between his legs. That is a picture of God and us. An all-powerful sovereign. (laughs) Not just the leader of the free world, but creator of the universe, responsible for sustaining it, and he gives us access to his office. (laughs) Just as JFK didn't shoo John Jr. out of the Oval Office, we are not shooed out of God's throne room. Rather, he delights in us being there. These are pictures from the Kennedy School of Administration. Incredible. Look at this. I love this. The leader of the free world stopping whatever it is. He's probably on the phone to Khrushchev. Just hang on. Call waiting. My little boy is doing a dance. (laughs) They're doing the Macarena, and he claps along. It's a rare thing. You rarely see that kind of tenderness and intimacy in, in the halls of power in the real world. <laughs> but that is how God delights in our presence. He does not receive us as a foreign official, or, but as a beloved and cherished son or daughter. I mean, it trumps everything, the father-child relationship. I was visiting a friend at his corporate office this week. He's a guy who's fairly high up in his organization. I'm guessing that he has a corner office with a view. I than in my office. He's got awards on the uh, wall. He's got plaques on uh, on his uh, on his cabinets and everything, and his shelves, and important-looking charts. He's kind of in corporate stuff, and uh, he has a whiteboard in there for, I guess, brainstorming sessions. And when I walk in, I loved it because I walked in and on his thing, you could see like some things were erased, like stra- global strategy, whatever, and written these big bubble letters that said, "I love you, Daddy!" <laughs> Exclamation point. And I walked in. And I was like. New campaign you guys got rolling that out? And he goes, you yeah, no, 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 my daughter, my daughter came in. She, and the great thing is she's about 17, which is incredible. <laughs> and he goes, she, she has permission to break in at any time to express her love to me. I mean, this is, this is what my, this is, that's what prayer is about. So I took the marker and I wrote the word big in front of daddy. I love you, big daddy. I was like, let's see how they interpret that. Andrew Murray says this. He says, It is in prayer and its answer that the interchange of love between the father and his child takes place. It is to prayer that God has given the right to take hold of him and his strength. Take hold of God and his strength. God's immensity and power and our smallness and frailty are not at odds. It's as if God is is not too busy to carry his bigger, more important things on his mind. Later on in Luke chapter 12... Jesus reminds his disciples of God's intimate care and interest in their lives. Remember, he says, aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. He cares about the details of your life. All the small things you might think be too trivial to tell him about. Your, your career or the direction of your job, your work. Your relationships or your lack thereof, your finances, your health struggles, yes, all are of intimate interest to your father. In fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, he says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So then what is prayer? If God already knows our needs and wants to meet them, what's prayer? I mean, most of us conceive of prayer in consumeristic terms. We ask for things, we get a response. We make a request, we get an answer. What if prayer was not primarily about transactions and requests, but about renewing a relationship? every day, about putting ourselves in a place every day where we can be loved on by the God who knows all our needs and gain his perspective on our lives, on our world, and daily receiving a dose of what we need most, which is a father's love and affection. It's amazing, but our God wants to be known. He wants to be sought out. He says, seek after me and you will find me. I'm not here to play hide and seek. That's what you were made for. And folks, that's what's available to you. But you have to begin with these words, Jesus says. Our Father in Heaven, my Abba, tell your daddy what he already knows about you. Tell him you actually want more and desire to know him more, to hear his voice more clearly and see his power more clearly in all the vital areas of your life, job, marriage, or church. So this is a challenge for you this week as we kick off this series on prayer, to pray one thing this week. One thing. Don't even pray for other stuff. Start getting out your li- God, Father, will you give me the strength this fall To make one or two clicks up on the calling plan over this next month. That November 2006 would be the month that God did something miraculous in your life. Established a permanent connection between you and him. Because of a new level of intimacy in which you know him and understand him. If you want that, actually beginning to praying about prayer, yeah, for starters... You have to relate to him as father and take your place as a dependent child. C.S. Lewis has a great quote. I put it in your bulletin. You can look at it. It's profound. It's rocked my world this week. The prayer preceding all prayers is this. May it be the real I who speaks and may it be the real thou that I speak to. In other words, any prayer that God hears begins with honest confession. Who we are and who God is. You know what confession is, by the way, right? It's just admitting to God what he already knows about us. (laughs) And perhaps that begins with a simple prayer this week, like requesting even the desire to pray. Did you know that even that's a gift from God? The desire to pray is a gift from God. To admit your weakness and that you actually need his Holy Spirit in a new way to help you. That's the other piece of the equation. When God relates to us as Father, we're to relate to him as children who are in need of something. The rest of the Lord's prayer is about that. True Abba prayer says, come just as you are... For this series, I'm reading this fantastic book, Recommend to you. Some people always say, hey, what do you read and kind of inform some of the things. It's called Prayer. Does it make any difference? Great book. It's by Philip Yancey. I can recommend it to you. We put a link to it on our website. And Yancey writes this. He says, sometimes I wonder if the words I use are the least important part of prayer. Who am I? And who is God? If I can answer those two questions, the words that I pray recede. Prayer invites me to lower defenses and present the self that no other person fully knows to a God who already knows. When Jesus said in his Matthew 6, which is our text, go into a closet, close the door, pray to your father in secret, that sometimes puzzles commentators. I read one commentator who was like, actually most houses in Jesus' day only had one room, no closets. (laughs) In other words, most likely Jesus is using a figure of speech here and he's inviting each of his followers to construct an imaginary room, a sanctuary of the soul that fosters complete honesty before God. And though you need not find a literal closet, somehow you have to ensure that your prayers are actually heartfelt and honest and not a performance. As Jesus instructed us in Matthew 6, he said, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role-play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. And that's no easy task, is it? To undress yourself. To be exposed and naked and vulnerable before anyone, let alone before an all-seeing, all-knowing God. I'm talking about your authentic self, not the self that you show off to the world. That's, that's what prayer really is about. The place where you take your fig leaf off <laughs> and all the masks and the hats that we wear before everyone else in our lives. You all have titles, right? You all play roles 24-7. Pastor, father, small group leader, business owner, whatever we all play a lot of roles where lots of titles and people look to us for certain things prayer is the one place where someone's not looking to you for something except for your true self your authentic and uncensored self which includes your weaknesses yancy notes that the japanese have two words that hint at the divided self there are the tatamae everyone say tatamae tatamae you know japanese now the part of myself i let people see on the outside and the want everyone say hong nei. what takes place on the inside where no one can see. Perhaps we need three words. One for the image of ourselves that we project to colleagues at work, to clerks at the supermarket, and other casual acquaintances. One for the more vulnerable parts we make visible to select family members and best friends. And a third for the secret places we never make known. That third place is what God invites us to lay open in prayer. For my friend, this past week, his tatet ma'e is successful business owner, good boss, faithful husband. Roles that he has to play outside, day to day. People rely on him for that. People rely on you for that, not God. God's most interested in your hangne, your true self, your inner self, that hidden or third layer. That he shared with me, that's the burnt out, tired, exhausted. And God says, come to me, all you heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. I understand. I care. And I want to do something about it. On the inside, not just external, inner renewal. True prayer, Abba prayer, which is what I'm encouraging you this week, makes room for the unspeakable, the secret compartments that we seal away from the outside world. You know, the Bible tells us that God penetrates far beyond the tatamae and even the angne to where people, no people can see. In fact, God informed the prophet Samuel, he says, the Lord doesn't look at the things men look at. man looks at the outward appearance, but I look at what? The heart. You guys already know this. What happens in human relationships when you remain at a shallow level? Think about your casual friends. What do you discuss with them, right? Weather, sports, upcoming movies, I don't know. You steer clear of what matters most. Maybe there's a hidden jealousy, a suppressed hurt, a resentment of their, you know, kids' rude behavior, whatever. Those relationships go nowhere. On the other hand, relationships, when you trust your friends with your truest self, the one without the fig leaf or mask, what happens? A bond happens. Same thing with God. And unless you level with your Abba, your daddy, about the real stuff in your life, about bitterness over unanswered prayer, grief over loss, Guilt over an unforgiving spirit, just a sense of even God's absence, that relationship will go nowhere as well. You may continue coming to church, you may sing praise songs, you may even address God in formal prayers, but you will never break through to the intimacy that God designed you to share with him. C.S. Lewis wrote, we must lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. To put it another way, we have to trust God with what God already knows. So that's where prayer starts according to Jesus, with honesty, with an exposure of our authentic, truest self. It's, it's funny, when it comes to prayer, uh, a lot of people I always hear say this, many of us worry about whether or not, you know, we sense the presence of God, but few of us ever think the reverse. When you give little thought to whether God senses the presence of us. God alone knows the selfish motives behind our every act the wounds that drive us to appear whole, and prayer invites you to bring your whole life before your Father for cleansing and renewal every day. Humble, honest confession, that's where your life begins. And there's no safer place to do that in the presence of your beloved Abba. The psalmist does remind us this, he says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower in the field, and the wind blows it over it, and it's gone. His place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. Honest moment. This is where I was a month ago. I was like, Lord, help me to pray something honest. We're going to be doing this series on prayer. I know this is going to shock you, but as a, a professional a pastor, more often than not, my prayer life can be very difficult. And as I was approaching this series, you know what my honest prayer was? Lord, I have this series, you want to teach people about prayer, and tell you the truth, I don't know how to pray. And I just confess that. I confess that I would, even now, Lord, as I'm praying to you, and my ADD thing is starting, I'd rather be doing other things. My My mind, Lord, drifts to my work. My heart even desires to be somewhere else, Lord. But that's not life. You are life. Would you help me in my weakness, Father? Correct my heart. Still it. I'm seeking for the strength to follow through. I prayed that prayer for two weeks over this last month. Every day. That was the only prayer I had. And you know what happened? Things actually began to change. Little by little, my appetite for God, his presence increased. Following those two weeks of, of intermittent contact and feeble prayers, I enjoyed two weeks of incredible joy. My wife was like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and a renewed sense of God's right alongside of me. It's no coincidence, was right at the point where I needed him most, you know, as we're making decisions about our church, our plans to launch off. And God shows up just in time, not only to give me guidance and insight, but to wake me up to what he's doing so I wouldn't miss it. That's one of the main reasons I'm praying for spiritual renewal this fall, personally and for all of you. Because I don't want us to miss what God's going to do with this church. I want to actually see his hand at work. And when when I'm connected and communicating with him through prayer, I'm awake. I can see it. When I've got my phone off the hook and I'm asleep, I miss out. In many ways, folks, I'm the least qualified to teach a series about prayer. I've, I've read these biographies that are very discouraging to me about Great men of prayer like Charles Simmon, who rose at 4 a.m. to begin his four-hour prayer regimen every day. Or Jonathan Edwards, who who said, I remember those sweet hours swept up in the rapture of God. I've had some mountaintop experiences, but they're more miraculous than normative. (laughs) But I'm hungry for more. More of a street-level connection with God that's constant than a one-shot event. So my way in qualification for encouraging you today about prayers that I feel unqualified and genuinely want to grow and learn. And what I've discovered is the posture of an honest, dependent child. So take Jesus' invitation as a challenge this week. Take a look at it. If you're going to circle one thing, walk away and fold it in your bulletin, here's what I want you to do, Jesus said. Tomorrow, or tonight, you find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role-play before God. Just be there as simply, as honestly as you can manage, and the focus will shift from you to God, and you will begin to sense his grace. No words are even needed. Does God listen to a prayer that has no words? God is so good and so honest about who we are that even when we're weak and dependent on him, he does the work for us. That's what we're promised in Romans 8. let Let's just close with this. it's is amazing. In the same way, if we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. The Spirit does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans challenge to you. Could you commit at least 30 minutes this week just to be with God with no agenda, just to be in Daddy's office for 30 minutes and find a closet and give that time to be with your Abba? Even if you can't find the words, your mind wanders. And maybe even just pray for the desire to pray and be reconnected or give you a new lens to see him. My Father, my Father, When Jesus taught his followers to pray, he started with just basic words. The real vow that you're speaking to, your father in heaven. Holy is his name. Our infinite creator and our intimate friend. We honor and worship him as our creator and yet draw close like a child who embraces him as daddy. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up here. We're going to close in worship. But I need to tell you something. My wife... I'll share something other intimate. My wife is not particularly close with her father. And that's, uh, that's my father-in-law. It's kind of painful. It's a wound that she, and we both carry. Um, but she tries to make the best of their relationship. And it's characterized as infrequent, I would say, kind of touch and go, intermittent contacts around the holidays and such. But I was talking with her this week. and I was like, sweetheart, what would your response be if we came home one day next week and we see the red light flashing on our answering machine. And if you press play and you heard your father's voice, Colleen, it's your dad. Honey, I miss you so much. I I, I didn't even call for anything. I just wanted to hear your voice. I miss you. Call, Call me back, will you? I really want to talk with you. I said, what would you do? And she replied with kind of tears in her eyes. She was like, I wouldn't even take my coat off. I would call I'd be on that horn and call him back immediately. That's how God feels about each of us, his children. He misses us. He longs to hear your voice and to speak to you for no other reason than because he's your father who cares. He wants to hear what's going on, what's got you down, what's hurting, what's got you dancing or filled with joy. Is it possible you've been ignoring the red light, flashing on your answering machine, that you've let some of God's messages go unreturned? He's not angry with you. Lonely is more like it. The good news is that distance can be bridged with just one call, but it's for you to make. Through Jesus, we're given the connection. Now it's up to us to dial into our Father's frequency. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you even for the chance to pray in this place that your heart towards us is so vast and beyond what we can even understand with our human limitations. I thank you that you care. Care in ways for us, Lord, we don't even care for ourselves. Pray for each man and woman here, that this night would be the night where they would take a step back to you, Father. Maybe praying for the first time to receive Jesus into their heart and life. Maybe reconnecting after a long time away.